Father God, again, we are thankful. We're thankful for all things. And I thank you, Father, that you've gathered us together this morning to open your word of grace. And uh, may it be a great blessing for us. May it encourage us. Uh, each day there are challenges, sometimes very great ones. Uh, so, Father, I, I pray that you give each of us the protection the guidance, the encouragement we need, the strength, the uh, willingness to sacrifice, whatever is needed, Father, pray that you would pour out your blessings of grace upon us, and may we be empowered in these days in which we live. And Father, I just would ask this uh, understanding, hearing and understanding what kind of uh, burdens uh, many in our group have and for some it's so so great uh, father i pray for our families there are children grandchildren um and uh, we always pray father that you would protect them and guide them and lead them and and may the lord jesus be at the center of their uh their thoughts and especially at a younger age father uh, there's so many challenges to that there's so many things that would interfere as the young ones grow older and set their sights on the future and and are concerned and thinking about uh, who they really are and what they will be in life so father i pray as parents and grandparents we might be role models for them that they might structure their their lives around you father in your word and may they they Take your word as spiritual food. May they study it. May it be important to them. And may they uh, seek out your will for their lives each each day and each hour. Father, thank you now for the, the opportunity to open your word. But, Father, we know that the liberties that we have, um, though they're given by you and are real and true, no matter what the circumstances are that we're living in, I pray for our country, Father, and our leaders, uh, that you would not allow this nation to be further compromised, but that you would interfere, that you would intersect, that you would protect our president and those that serve with him, and at every level of government, Father. But we see so much evil and so much lawlessness being promoted as that which is good, <laughs> by great lies so father we just commit those to you to be encouraged and victorious uh, those that would serve honorably in every level of government thank you now for this time to share and open your word together in christ's name amen amen, amen. okay let me, let me give out some reading assignments um we'll have to double up because there are not too many of us here this morning we're getting to the end of um, Philippians. <laughs> I will be sad when we finish this letter. <laughs> it's been such a blessing to me, and I'm sure you can hear that in my voice often. It really has been a wonderful time to open the word for all of you, and I pray that it's been a great blessing for you too. So today we'll... Um, be in Philippians chapter 4, but we'll be going back into chapter 1 a little bit. So um, 
what I'd like us to do is read, we'll read one verse per person. So, um, Linda, if you can start with Philippians 4.10, then Lisa 4.11, Charlie 4.12, and then, uh, Patty, you're going to be 4.13, but I want us to also read from Philippians chapter 1. And so for that, I think, um, let's see, how about Lisa, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. That will be after Charlie reads. We'll be getting to, to you, Lisa, for Philippians 1, verses 12 and 13. Then Linda, verses 19 through 21 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and then um, then Charlie, Philippians 1, verses 29 and 30. 29 and 30. Okay, then we'll finish up with uh, chapter 4, verse 13. All right. Um, so begin, let me say that this time through Philippians, a number of things really became clear for me that all through my life, and even though I've taught Philippians probably five or six times, um, all, all those teaching experiences, I found certain sections to be difficult in, in interpretation, uh, more difficult than I knew they should be. And and yet this time, everything is pretty much fallen into place. So I'm really thankful to the Lord for that. And I think the reason for the difference is that, as always, and, and when we were at dinner the other night, uh, Daniel asked that key question about how, how to study the word, what's the right approach, how to get started, and so forth, you know. And uh, I think the the best answer to that question is to start uh, in a place that's meaningful to you. In other words, it doesn't have to be Genesis 1-1. could be, but it doesn't have to be. Um Start in a place that's meaningful to you and be very careful comparing Scripture with Scripture, taking the context very carefully into consideration. And I think when we do that, many things become much clearer than otherwise they might be. Uh, Because otherwise, we're really taking it out of context. When you think of it that way, it should be obvious, right? Okay, so last time we looked at uh, this final set of exhortations. It's really one large section in the fourth chapter of Philippians, uh, which we could simply call Paul's final exhortation, though there's a couple of different sections to it. But we saw how personal it was. I mean, he starts out even by addressing it a certain persons by name, right? Um, but he he refers to the brethren in six different ways as uh, 
very precious to him. He says, my brethren, dearly beloved, long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And so that that's a simple but yet profound way to address those to whom you're writing, right? And I know we don't we don't do this. Don't, wouldn't you feel strange uh, opening a letter to a loved one that way? And yet it would be entirely appropriate, right? So the Lord gave you those words. Why not use them? They're they're very special words, right? And what could be better uh, also than how he then exhorts him where he says, stand fast in the Lord. Now, I don't think we very often stop to think about what the what the circumstances might have been that the Philippians were in. Right. I mean, they they had to be in trying times living there under the thumb of Rome. Right. Uh, and. Uh, their lives would have been extremely difficult. And Paul makes it very clear that suffering was going to be right in the center of all of that, right? Um, so, you know, that that's the way it was for them, and that's the way it is for us. So we can take to heart also these exhortations for ourselves, right? Our circumstances are not that different from those of the Philippian believers. Uh, and Paul addresses them very Personally, but also by name, there were some there were some issues. There were two women singled out, right, um, and two men singled out also in this letter. But the two women are not spoken of very positively at all. I used to think that a major reason for writing the letter was the, these two women. They were causing some division in the assembly of believers there, and. Paul had to, to address it. Well, I've changed my mind a bit on that. I, I think it's kind of in passing that he mentions that it here, not because it's the critical issue of the day at all. In fact, it wasn't. It was kind of a minor thing. <laughs> but he just simply says uh, they should have the same mind. <clears throat> and uh, but But then he ends that statement with this wonderful uh, truth concerning them and of course all of us too he says whose names are in the book of life <laughs> that's why i say the mention of those women by name was just in passing because what was really important was that their names were in the book of life <laughs> how encouraging would that be to know i mean so they're singled out yes but their names are in the book of life think of that what if you had a letter from Paul and it said, your name, Linda, is in the book of life. Uh, and it is. So, But to have a letter from Paul saying this and the fact that you had uh, some conflict with some other woman would kind of pale into insignificance, right? Of course, you could be of the same mind considering this. Her name is also in the book of life, right? <laughs> so what a wonderful thing here. Um, then he then he mentions rejoicing, and uh, he says, rejoice, 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 rejoice. Rejoice twice, that's for, it's like saying, don't ever stop 
rejoicing. And then uh, he says, uh, yes, there will be many challenges, but let your moderation or your gentleness be known. Not the other side, right? Our nature wants to rebel and wants to present something different altogether, right? And he says, be gentle. And may everybody know you for your gentleness, right? And then the Lord is at hand. And as I said, I don't think he's talking about prophecy there, that the return of the Lord is going to happen, maybe, you know, very likely tomorrow. That wasn't the point of it. It was that the Lord is really near, nearer than you ever dreamed or thought. In fact, he dwells within you. Uh, <laughs> Romans chapter 8 says so, right? And then he mentions the peace of God, right? And uh, that that should uh, take the place of all of our anxieties, right? And it will, he says, if we are thankful. All of our prayers, all of our requests, he says, ought to be preceded by thanksgiving. Uh, and that would change uh, our focus altogether, right? So that the peace of God might dominate. And surely it passes all understanding because how could you have peace in the midst of such turmoil, right? And yet that's exactly what the Lord offers us, right? Whatever our circumstance in life, because our concerns, though there are many, are no match for God's abundant good care for each of us. Now, unless we have an eternal perspective, we won't know this. We won't be able to comprehend this at all. I mean, and we won't be willing to receive this truth that he offers. But uh, we, with that eternal perspective, we can. And then he says, finally, uh, follow me. Be very careful uh, to watch me and uh, walk in the path I am walking on. Uh, run the same race, in other words, that I am running, right? And then he says, if you'll do that, then know that the God of peace will be with you. So isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing to keep in mind? If we walk as Paul walked and think as he did, uh, then we'll realize what privilege we have as believers today. It's a very special privilege indeed. Well, today I want to go on. There, there are four verses that get to the really central uh, and I could say the heart of the matter, really, uh, the focus that Paul has here in this letter. It's the last chapter and the last exhortation. He's really uh, summarizing everything that's gone before here in the letter and finishing the thought that he started there in chapter 1. And uh, he does that in verses 10 through through 13. And so I think for our outline, let me just put it like this. There are four parts, four verses there. But uh, it's all about Paul's testimony concerning God's abundant grace. Okay. And how that testimony now needs to be summarized. So he, he uses four words. Four key words here to communicate that. The first word is the word rejoicing. Second word is the word contented. Third word is the word initiated, initiated. And the fourth word is the word empowered. 
So Paul's testimony about God's grace can be summarized in these four ways. So first of all, rejoicing, though under Roman house arrest, okay? Contented, though suffering the lack of many of life's necessities. Initiated through the many trials of life. And empowered, this is the biggest of all, empowered by Christ himself, okay? So that's the outline. So first of all, Paul's testimony of God's abundant grace uh, was demonstrated through his rejoicing, though under Roman house arrest. And that's in chapter 4, verse 10. Now, you know, you can see already why I have to go back to chapter 1 here to uh, to uh, further describe the meaning of this. Uh, remember, comparing scripture with scripture, taking everything in context makes the difference, right? So Philippians 4.10. So Linda, I'd like you to read Philippians 4.10 for us. Paul rejoiced greatly. Go ahead there, Linda. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Thank you, Linda. So Paul says that he was rejoicing, and he's sort of specific uh, here about it. Um, there were other things he mentioned in chapter 1. We'll go back to that in a moment. But uh, here he especially mentions how at the last, he says, your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So they, they were concerned. Uh, apparently, they'd made a promise to Paul that they were going to support him <clears throat> if he were imprisoned. And uh, they heard that he had been imprisoned, and then apparently for certain reasons, which are not revealed here, uh, they had not sent any gifts or offerings for his support, but finally they sent Epaphroditus. Remember that. Chapter 2, verse 25 mentions Epaphroditus going to Rome to uh, help Paul in his trials there, right? Apparently he had taken a gift to help Paul, and that would be some, something, some kind of uh, monetary means probably that could be used to buy uh, the food that Paul needed and other things because prisoners were not held in high regard and they did not have all their needs met at all by any means, right? Unless someone from the outside were able to help. So this is a very practical and material matter, but Paul is thanking the Lord for it. But that's not the whole story here. There was more to this. And he then in the next verse explains it further because the most important thing wasn't that they had sent uh, through Epaphroditus a gift that was not the the last, uh, reason why he rejoiced. <laughs> it was just one reason. Uh, but then in verse 11, he explains it further. So here we see that Paul was contented nevertheless, even though he suffered the lack of many of life's necessities. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Lisa, please read that for us. 
Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am wherewith to be content. Thank you, Lisa. So it's it's interesting that Paul's thankful because they've sent the gift, and he rejoices, right? But you you can be sure he's actually rejoicing on their behalf. In other places, like in the Corinthian letter, he writes of gifts that way. Uh, the uh, the church may provide a gift for a missionary, right? But and that would be a blessing to them, absolutely, right? But the greatest blessing is for those that gave the gift, right? And that's what Paul is uh, implying here. But not only that, it's even more important to realize that Paul rejoiced even without the gift, having been received. Okay, so that's that's what uh, that simple uh, verse says there in in uh, verse eleven. Okay. Um, so, do we understand this properly? Hmm. Um, not that I res- speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. In other words, Paul w- was not lacking any joy, though he lacked the necessities of this world. <laughs> okay? And he says why here. He says, I have learned and this is a word that means to go through a trial to experience it right and to find out that god's grace was sufficient and he wasn't finished with that he was still learning so what had he learned in whatsoever state i am he said therewith to be content hmm well that's a a lesson for us that's extremely important isn't it now he's going to go on and give more details because uh, the next verse really I think is one of the most important verses in the entire letter because it sort of summarizes practically speaking the whole lesson that Paul is teaching these believers in Philippi right Um, so let's get into that because it follows directly on the heels of the one that Lisa read. So, Charlie, if you'd read verse number 12, please. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be old and hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Okay, thank you, Charlie. So, as I said, I think the key is here to uh, understanding how the Lord is working in our lives. It was true for Paul. This is his testimony for us that if we walk in the path he walked in, we'll find this also to be true in our lives, right? Uh, And this is what he had learned, how he learned it. He learned it through suffering need, right? Lack. He lacked things that ordinarily you would consider critical. Uh, okay, he had lacked those things. Now, the Lord blessed us uh, twice with being in Rome, and we actually enjoyed uh, being there at uh, the Mamertine prison. That's not where Paul was 
as he wrote this letter that was later in his life that he was there. But uh, to be held in a place like that, in this case here, uh, when he writes Philippians, he's under house arrest, so it's not as serious uh, a trial as it would have been later and was later when he was held in the Mamertine prison, which was just a big cistern under the streets of Rome. <clears throat> the water, the ice-cold water ran through there in flood season, who knows how deep, right? Uh, it was a terrible place to be held. <clears throat> but here, what he says is that I've suffered a lot, but I've learned, and therefore I know, and what does he say? I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. <laughs> I used to read this um, a little too quickly, and I thought, well, okay, under one circumstance he was he's suffering loss, but under another circumstance he's suffering abundance, so he's learning, well, what is he learning there? Well, what it really says here is something quite different, because he says, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Hmm. Just going through the circumstance wasn't enough. Um, the important thing was that Paul was learning by going through the experience of these things. But not only the times of trial, but the times of abundance. He, what he's really saying is that I'm always learning the same thing. And it all has to do with the sufficiency of what the Lord provides, right? And so if you're in a time of abundance... Consider it properly as a time of of loss, or if you're a time in a time of loss, consider it's really a time of abundance. Okay. In other words, the Lord is saying to you, all of these things are equally part of what I am doing in your life, and I'm pouring out my grace, whatever the circumstance. Now it is a lot easier to grasp that when you're in a time of trial than when you're in a time of abundance. And anybody can testify to that. If we stopped here right now and spent the rest of our time in uh, testimonies, I'm sure you would be able to supply those for the sake of the group, right? How the Lord has blessed you when you were in times where the very necessities of life were lacking okay um, I remember our son Jonathan in that regard we'll never forget it he often testified in that fashion okay so it's that these were put together here you know in everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry now you may think that's that's using language incorrectly I mean, you wouldn't write something like that in a letter, maybe, but maybe you would if you wanted to communicate what Paul is trying to communicate here. Now, admittedly, it's somewhat of a mystery, and, and so he, he indicates that here by saying, I am instructed, I am instructed, okay? And this word was used in the Greek language of the day, both uh, religiously and uh, rather philosophically, the Greeks were, of course, uh, big on um, 
on both <laughs> accounts, right? Uh, their religion dominated many lives uh, there in, uh, in, in that world. And here in Rome, they had taken upon themselves much of the Greek uh, system of thought. And so religiously and also philosophically, for that matter, uh, they, they often use this word initiate, if you had been brought into a special place so that you could receive special knowledge that others were not eligible for, then uh, you would be initiated, as it were, into that a special group, right? And that's the word he used. So he says, I have been initiated, translated in the King James, um, simply with this, this word instructed, okay? Uh, it's only used, this Greek word is only used here in the whole New Testament. It's only in this one place, right? So Paul is saying, I'm privileged. God has opened my eyes to who he is in a special way and in, to what he is doing under grace in a way that previously I didn't know. He says, now I see clearly that in every circumstance of life, I'm both abounding and suffering need, and this is all at the hand of the Lord. And I think this is a, really a precious thing to grasp onto. We all need that special insight, really, into how God is working in a very personal and uh, special way in our lives. Mentions, he mentions the all things again. You know, that's a key uh, expression in the whole letter, right? We've already seen many places where Paul writes about the all things. Right? The most recent example was uh, how we should be thinking, what kind of mindset we should have, uh, what kind of things should be dominating our lives and our thoughts, right? And he said earlier here, it's all about uh, walking in a path that would honor the Lord uh, and his abundant grace and that involves as he said over and over following me right following paul okay now i want us to go back to philippians 1 quickly just to see uh, how paul introduced the whole subject way at the beginning in the very first chapter of the letter because what at the end of the letter he's reflecting back on the beginning of the letter now here we are with months since we began to uh, open God's word in his letter to, in Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's months, right? But remember, when he wrote the letter, it was all written probably in one day, right? Uh, and when they read it, someone read it to the group, it was read in how many minutes? How many minutes does it take to read Paul's letter to the Philippians to the assembly, right? And so they, they had in their minds what he had written in chapter one. We may not, because we've now been dwelling in later chapters for a while, right? So we have to go back and just quickly, I think just reading this will uh, give us what we need to see the, uh, the context properly here. Uh, so the context for chapter four begins in chapter one. So uh, Lisa, would you please read about Paul's imprisonment, Philippians chapter one, verses 12 and 13. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out 
rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Lisa. So you see, Paul is in house arrest and he's suffering need in a number of areas and uh, reflects on that in chapter four, right? But notice what was most important to him was that the bonds that he had were seen to be in Christ. And they were not uh, Nero's bonds and the Romans. Uh, <laughs> it was bonds in Christ. Uh, they That's what was manifest. And where was it manifest? In the center of the strongest nation in the world, right? It would be like him saying, well... I'm under house arrest in the White House, right? <laughs> and everybody knows that I'm the bond slave of Christ, not the president of this nation. You know, I mean, think of it that way. So if that's the way Paul sees it, and he's our example, how should we see it, right? I mean, that's why I took us back here, just so you see what the real context is here. Okay, let's look a little further. So we just saw saw that Paul's imprisonment itself was an example of Christ. And that's how it, the Lord had worked that out, right? Miraculously. Now, uh, Linda, if you read uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we'll see what the principle was that was at work there. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always so, now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be life or, be, or by death, for to, to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Oh, thank you, Linda. Now that's my, my, my favorite verse. Yeah. Well, I, I could say that. Um, it's kind of a special verse for our family. I won't go into the details of it now, but very, very special. Uh, hmm. <laughs> what was I going to say? I think what you said said it better than I ever could have said it, Linda. Uh, well, that Christ would be magnified. <laughs> that was the principle of God's working there, and he was magnified, right? And uh, we know, we know that there were those in Caesar's household who were saved at this time through Paul's witness, okay? And in fact, uh, it wouldn't be long, it wouldn't be long until all believers in Rome would have to go underground and live in caves because the persecution would be so great. Well, one of those caves is named after one of those who was saved in Caesar's household. Really. One of the catacombs is named after her, so... It's gone down in history. So Paul's testimony was great there because God was clearly at work. Christ was magnified. And that was Paul's desire. That was desire, the greatest desire of his heart, right? That Christ would be magnified in his body 
whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then um, on the side of application, what about us? What about us? So, Charlie, if you'd read uh, that, that's uh, verses 29 and 30 of chapter 1. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be. And now here to be in me, having the same conflict. Now, I've, I've explained before how this word conflict is this word agon. We get our word agony from it. Okay. Uh, so, and it speaks of a, of a sporting event, a conflict in that sense. And Paul is usually uh, finding it straightforward to use analogies and, and so forth in order to communicate spiritual truths, right? So he's saying, if you knew me, you knew what kind of a conflict I had regarding, in other words, how I was wrought up, my entire life was dedicated to Christ, as he says in verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So that sets the stage for the whole letter, right? In those verses we've just read there. So the Christian life is one to be lived walking as Paul walked and suffering as he also suffered so that Christ would be glorified because it's his life that we're living. Christ's life is ours, right? Uh, and then in this final verse back in chapter 4, verse 13, uh, some of us might also want to add that to our list of favorite verses, right? Philippians 4.13, Patty. Uh, here we see what kind of empowering we have to live this life, right? And uh, would you like to read that, 4.13? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Okay, literally, I'm empowered. That's what he says. I can do all things. I am empowered. Whatever the things are that are needed, as God determines this, right? Not as I do, but as God determines it, whatever it is that's needed, I'm empowered, he says. And that speaks of a power coming upon one. Okay? Um, coming from outside upon one. But that's not all he says here. He says, through Christ which strengtheneth me. That word is the word from which we get our English word dynamo. This is power on the inside coming out. Okay? Okay. So those things, we're, we're enabled, we're empowered, right? Concerning all the circumstances of life that will come upon us. And our confidence is that the energizing is right on the inside, too, and therefore will never be without it, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. You are his vessel. He dwells within you, the temple 
even if the Holy Spirit is within us, right? Even in our bodies, right? So these bodies are perishing. Remember, we looked at verses that say that so clearly. But the power is eternal and is being reflected in and through these weakened vessels, right? That's how God is working. That's how he chose to work. That's how he's working. And there are great miracles uh, that he is working in that way. So let me just uh, apply it to our current situation in this way. What's set before us is a life of simplicity that Paul demonstrated so well and that we, therefore, would do well to take to heart. A life of simplicity. And uh, you look at Paul's life and these examples of it here, you'll see that to be so well demonstrated, right? A life of simplicity, simple focus, confidence in the Lord. He does everything well. Our lives here shouldn't be expected to be uh, glorious in a worldly sense. And uh, we're finding that they're not, uh, but rather in a spiritually meaningful and eternal sense. Okay, Uh, and we should be encouraged by the knowledge he's giving us as we live our lives in this simplicity. Right. We should be encouraged as he continues to uh, give us uh, the strength and the knowledge through his word of exactly how he is working so bottom line don't get caught up in the schemes of religion where satan has his playground okay but instead paul says run the race and fight the good fight looking always for the return and the heavenward calling in christ jesus right crowns await all that do crowns await all that do so we may from time to time feel cast down and set aside and you may feel like the lord is far off when really he is very very near indeed right and if we endure and run the race faithfully the crowns are awaiting. They're just around the corner. That's uh, the message Paul has for us today and uh, every day. Only we would receive it, right? That's the message he has for us. Uh, and I, I, I know that the Lord's working, and uh, these letters give us the understanding and the insights we need to walk the walk that Paul walked and to enjoy the Lord as he enjoyed him, right? We know that. So praise the Lord. I'm glad you were all with us today. If you have any comments or any questions, now's a good time. Okay, well, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us. The the final words of the Apostle Paul in this letter uh, are looming very large, and uh, they are powerful and with great meaning and insight, and uh, his 
exhortations must be taken to heart. So, Father, I pray that this would be spiritual food for us and that we would take to heart uh, what he has written here. Uh, we know the Philippians heard these words read over and over. They may not have had much else, much else in the way of scripture at the time, but they did receive this letter and uh, they did uh, hear uh, what Paul wrote. And it must have been so powerful for them, Father. You can only imagine the difference it made. Pray that it would make that difference for us as well and that we would be so thankful having uh, gained the insights that Paul had himself received from you. So, Father, uh, please watch over us little ones and uh, may your good hand of blessing continue on us always. And may we never forget that it's the riches of the glory of Christ being revealed in and through us weaker vessels. That is your work today. And we would thank you, Father, and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.